Welcome to the Alliant in the Public Eye podcast, a show dedicated to exploring risk management topics and challenges faced by today's public sector leaders. Here are your hosts, Carlene Patterson and Justin Swarbrick. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of In the Public Eye. This time of year, we've been talking about public entity risk managers and focusing on their insurance programs and whether they can control anything from coverages to limits to retentions. But that is just one piece of the large pie we call total cost of risk. And so what we wanna do is talk about some of the other pieces. And one of the biggest drivers of total cost of risk for our public entity clients is claims experience. And so today, what we want to do is invite Colin Finn to join us to talk about one of the ways our clients can help control those claims costs, and that is the structured settlement. So before we get started, Colin, do you want to talk a little bit about yourself and tell us about your role here at Alliant? Carlene and Justin, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm super excited to be here. So believe it or not, this is my 18th year in the structured settlement industry. My father actually entered the business in the mid 80s. And we worked together from 2003 to 2011. So I had a great mentor and foundational understanding of this niche business called structured settlements. So not only are my experiences and expertise fairly diverse, but the collective experiences and and expertise of our team of consultants is vast. We have such a great team here at Alliant. We have seven structured settlement consultants. It's a nationwide practice that focuses on providing credible structured settlement analysis and solutions to public entities, large hospital systems, national construction contractors, the trucking and transportation industry, aviation, just to name a few. So our role at Alliant continues to blossom each and every day, specifically within specialty. Our team brings a host of services and solutions to Alliant's clients when there's a personal physical injury loss. Most other structured settlement firms are not associated with large insurance brokerages. So we can be an internal resource when Alliant clients incur these casualty losses. It has been a tremendous differentiator for our team and Alliant to be able to bring this service to the table. Well, it sounds really exciting, and I can't wait to really dive into how this can help our clients, but maybe we should back up a little bit and talk about just what exactly is a structured settlement and then how it can be an advantage to our clients. Sure, Carlene. So structured settlements have been around for about 50 years. They're a settlement option that are specific to personal injury and workers' compensation claims. They're basically guaranteed periodic payments, though I don't like to use the term annuity. They are an annuity, not to be confused with a kind of retail annuity. And they're really tailored to be structured to meet the future financial needs of the injured party or the family. So can a settlement be paid out in a cash lump sum? Sure, absolutely. But we believe the more prudent approach is to have a structured settlement as well as a cash component. And the cash component absolutely satisfies the attorney's fees and liens, puts some cash in the plaintiff's pocket, and then has these tailored payment streams moving forward. And make no mistake about it, there are clear benefits to the defendant and to the plaintiff, but the advantages for public entities or really any defendant can be summed up in the following. So first and foremost, engaging a structured settlement consultant like myself does not cost anybody anything. There's no cost to the claim file. So 
I would imagine most people listening are probably familiar with something that's called a Medicare set-aside, life care plans, future wage loss, medical cost projections. So structured settlements can credibly address all these matters. For example, when a Medicare set-aside is submitted to CMS, CMS is the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, the preferred option is to fund the future annual payments by way of a structured settlement. So not only does this provide cost savings to the defendant or the employer, but it ensures those annual payments will always be there for the claimant, which of course you're needing to protect Medicare's interests. It's truly equitable for both sides. So for instance, like when a skilled tradesman is catastrophically injured on a construction site, more times than not, a structured settlement can help replace the future lost wages. Now I recognize there are absolutely times when the concept of a structured settlement falls through the cracks on a claim. Okay, we get it. In instances like that, believe me, you want and need your own representation. The structured settlement industry can often be likened to the real estate industry. The buyer has their own representation. The seller has their own representation. So each side has their own right in our industry to be represented. And so a properly handled structured settlement transaction is vital for both the defense and the plaintiff. And finally, this is something I, I just absolutely believe in. There's a human element to every case. Empathy plays such a strong role in getting difficult cases settled. Identifying the needs of the injured party and then assigning meaning to the offers that are being presented can truly break down barriers to a settlement. I've been part of a numerous cases where a structured settlement was utilized to fund an annual scholarship for the deceased child. There have been instances where the family used to go on vacation with the mother or father who passed away and now we're funding that annual vacation that they can celebrate the life of the family member that they lost. And so really my point is, I try to gather as much information as possible about each case so that we can assign meaning to our structured settlement offers. Colin, that's a good, that's a good summary. And quite honestly, this is something that is not discussed very often because a lot of these discussions I imagine happen in private behind closed doors. So it's good to know this, this is an option available when our clients do experience those, those large claims. But have you found that these structured settlements are more common with certain lines of coverage? Yeah, let's talk about like the low hanging fruit. So that would be the realm of workers' compensation and more specifically Medicare set-asides. There's something called the Medicare Secondary Payor Act. Medicare's interest needs to be protected in these settlements, meaning that they're not going to pay first dollar. So when you have a workers' compensation case and there's an MSA, CMS actually accepts structured settlements to fund these future annual payments. And I can throw a dart against the board and tell you somewhere between savings of 15 and 35%. So as long as I have what's called an MSA allocation report, usually that would be provided not by us, but by a Medicare compliance vendor, okay, that would be working with the defendant or the employer, or the carrier. Once that report is sent to us, all we have to do is basically, this, there's two components, the seed money and the annual payments. The seed money is not structured. We structure the annual payments over time. Again, CMS accepts that. And you can save, depending on the duration and the age of the claimant, you can save anywhere between 15 and 35%, maybe a hair more. So it's really a head scratcher for me when I hear about anybody 
what we call lumping out, meaning just paying cash for an MSA. It's true savings to the defense, and it's absolutely valuable to the claimant. Most of our clients buy insurance, and some have large SIRs, some have smaller SIRs. Are you typically working with the, the entities themselves, or are you working with the insurance companies? Yeah, it's a great question. So both. We have a number of clients that are municipalities, that are large self-insured corporations that have large either fronting policies, large deductibles, sometimes that's on carrier paper, but oftentimes self-insured retentions that we're directly dealing with their funds. In fact, there's there's one company that structured so many of their Medicare set-asides over a five-year period that the self-insured entity reduced their future reserves by $20 million. So our clients can be carriers. Our clients can be a corporation or a joint powers authority or a risk pool any of those under the sun. So again, we we talked about how like structuring MSAs is a no-brainer. You can't really necessarily throw that same dart against the wall on the liability side, but usually the types of cases that we're working on are are cases that have high exposure. Now again, you can have a bad accident and there may not be a lot of money behind it. Usually the ones that we are working on are. So for if you're familiar with like New York labor law cases where there's you know strict liability on accidents, uh, general construction injuries, medical malpractice cases. I mean, medical malpractice is always unique because the burden of proof is very difficult for the plaintiff uh, on these cases. But when it is proven, the settlements and verdicts tend to be very large. Power, gas, and utilities obviously electrocution type injuries, explosions, and of course, you know, uh, the trucking components, as well as, you know, as we're talking about public entities. Now, I will say that one of the areas that continues to be on the rise are what's called Section 1983 civil rights cases. So these types of cases really deal with excessive force, which we all know can, can be like a George Floyd type case, a police shooting type case. And then of course, wrongful or also known as reverse conviction cases. These sorts of cases can end up being extremely high dollar settlements and verdicts. So with the excessive force cases, you may have a plaintiff who is now catastrophically injured. We've seen some of those, unfortunately, around the country or deceased. And now their lives or the lives and finances of that family are kind of forever changed. And when you're dealing with wrongful conviction cases, you have individuals who, whose personal freedom had been taken away from them. I mean, in some instances for decades through you know, the co- coercion and fear of some of these interrogation practices by the police. And while now they're free citizens again, Kind of the prospect, I mean, imagine being in jail for 30 years, uh, being wrongly convicted, getting out, having a case settle, and then having to manage these huge sums of money while you're still kind of getting reacclimated to society. I can imagine that's got to be very overwhelming. So obviously, we feel that addressing a cash component and a structure component of these settlements is the right approach. So you talked a lot about the way it's really helpful to the plaintiff, but from a public entity standpoint, looking at their, you know, their cash flow, their claims, how can it impact or be an advantage to them to look at some of these alternate ways of funding a settlement? 
Yeah, well, I mean, a, a closed case is a good case, right? And not to mention that we're bringing a resource to the negotiating table that you really don't have in your arsenal otherwise. I mean, when you're talking about future medical needs, future wage loss, these are all things that a structured settlement can ultimately support. And so when you're dealing with a public entity, and of course, if it's their money, they're lowering their reserves, if they're working with a TPA or a carrier, there are benefits. And really the other side of the coin Carlene, is that the structured settlement industry is still very robust. 2019, I mean, you know, all COVID aside, we understand it's a year that, you know, we're not going to really target as a normal year, but 2019 was the largest year in the structured settlement industry in terms of, you know, gross premiums. And so as people continue to talk about where interest rates are, structured settlements deliver these fixed guarantee tax-free streams of payments to these people that are catastrophically injured. So Again, from a public entity standpoint, plaintiffs do want these, right? And so I think that if you are ahead of the game, as opposed to trying to play catch up at the end and getting somebody involved, I think not only can we help position these cases for settlement, but everything is in place once that case actually settles. It actually makes sense to me that 2019 was the most active year for structured settlements. We're seeing it across the country. Jury verdicts are up, nuclear verdicts. Part of the reason the liability market for public entities is where it is. And we've seen the civil rights cases, we've seen the wrongful imprisonment cases, and they're getting larger, they're getting more frequent. And unfortunately, we're we're not sure that trend is going to conclude anytime soon. But given the fact we are seeing more of these large nuclear verdicts or large claim settlements, could you walk us through the process of a structured settlement? and specifically what your and your team does for public entities when they're involved in one of these? Ideally, in a perfect world, which of course, you know, none of us exist in, you'd have already kind of a best practices in place for utilizing structured settlements. Most large carriers have those in place. And I often think that a lot of JPAs, risk pools, public entities should have them as as well. And kind of like what I touched on earlier about having an approved list of life insurance companies, understanding the documents, the timing of the funding, different language that they want inserted. These are all things that we can walk them through. But obviously, prior to COVID, I would be traversing the country, attending different mediations. So usually when I get involved with a case, I get notice of a mediation from the client. I get an evaluation of the facts uh, of the loss, the exposure. You know, I would say the authority isn't usually necessarily shared with me unless I have a really good relationship with the client, but usually some sort of a range or, or what we're trying to accomplish. Now, on larger, more complex cases, when you have a life care plan, when you have wage loss, if somebody has lost their health insurance, for instance, our team routinely goes to the Affordable Care Act exchanges. And again, I say this, that it's in law today. So if I was at a mediation today, this would apply. So if somebody doesn't have health insurance moving forward and they're not Medicare, Medicaid eligible, we can go into the exchanges, find what the cost of healthcare is in, in their area, find the most expensive plan, which of course they wouldn't have to buy, but then we structure that out with like a three or 4% cost of living adjustment. Again, credibly making these offers to the plaintiff so that they can go out and ultimately secure health insurance on their own. So again, I would attend a mediation. I could present live numbers 
as the mediator comes in and says, hey, this is where we're at. This is your offer. This is their demand. You know, we would say, why are, why are we here? What do they need? Feedback would be presented to us. And in real time, I present different structured settlement scenarios. So let's assume the case settles. Structure, unlike the old days, may not be agreed to right then and there. I'm always sympathetic to the fact that litigation takes a long time. Plaintiffs do need some time to kind of soak in after three, four, five years of litigation that this case is settled. It is one of the kind of downsides to a structured settlement in that it needs to be part of the settlement. The language and the payment terms need to be memorialized in the settlement agreement. So there is some timeliness to it. So let's say a week passes, they're sitting down with their own structure consultant. They reach out to me. I reach out to them. I'm making sure that I'm protecting the interest of uh, the public entity. They're representing the interests of the plaintiff. Ultimately, the plaintiff agrees to a plan. And then we really get to what's called the kind of post-settlement aspect where I talked about before about best practices. I'm making sure that the other side knows that there's a list of life insurance companies that we need to utilize, that here are the funding parameters, uh, that we want a three-party qualified assignment release, that we need to secure probate approval for dealing with somebody that's incapacitated or a minor, and then ultimately a after everything is submitted to the life companies, we'll get a policy contract. So that's kind of in a nutshell, the best practices we do and, and the value that we bring to a public entity. So it sounds like you're really the client's advocate as you go through this settlement process. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. There's no question about it. Oftentimes, I've been in cases where my client and defense counsel aren't necessarily on the same page. So I'm kind of the, the one being texted on the side or brought, or brought out to a break room to talk about these matters. And those are really fun because those are the people that you usually have a great relationship with. And, and, and there's a reason that they're there. You have that personal relationship and, of course, the level of expertise that they require on these difficult cases. So as a broker working with clients, you know, I'm trying to think about, you know, work through loss runs and we're aware of when certain claims happen, are there certain claims or situations where we want to bring something like this up earlier rather than later, or for our clients listening and they're thinking about their own loss experience and maybe a structured settlement hasn't been brought up to them before. Is there some things that they can think about and say, oh, this would make a great one. Let me call Justin or call Carlene and have a conversation about this. Are there certain things they should be looking for? I'll reiterate just identifying needs of the plaintiff. If you've got a case where you're paying $300,000 and there's 100,000 in liens and the attorney needs to be paid, you've got to put some cash in the plaintiff's pocket, assuming we're not talking about a minor, those are going to be difficult cases to settle. If you're talking about somebody you know, oftentimes that requires a special needs trust, for instance, right? A structured settlement can can supplement and be paid into a special needs trust when you're preserving somebody's Medicaid eligibility, Medi-Cal eligibility. But in terms of identifying cases, I, I think that the main factors are, again, future wage loss, loss of household services, a death case where somebody was a wage earner, uh, future medical needs. And I think there's a creative aspect that we bring to the table. I mean, obviously we can stretch those dollars I get it. You know, people that are listening and saying interest rates are low, I always laugh at because, you know, we're dealing with people that are injured. We're not dealing with people that can tolerate high risk. And so I do believe that stretching those dollars to help move these people forward in their lives and provide that financial security may not reflect in direct savings 
to the public entity, but it'll get that case settled. Now, again, workers' comp, absolutely. Throw a dart at the board. I can tell you exactly what you're going to save on a case. On a liability case, there's, there's a little bit more nuance to it, but there was actually a CLM study years ago about you know, high-level carrier executives that for the most part stated that they believed when a structured settlement was involved in a case that it helped the case settle. Now, again, you can't pinpoint any one thing that it does, like I just said, in a Medicare set-aside in a workers' compensation case. But I think there's a lot of uh, intangible values that we bring to the table, especially with the creativity. So any other points or advice before we uh, close today? I would be remiss if I didn't mention that it's not just physical personal injury cases that you can utilize a structured settlement on. Yes, those are what we call the qualified structured settlement cases, but there's a whole cavalcade of non-qualified cases that you can utilize structured settlements on, albeit on a tax-deferred basis, not tax-free. Those types of cases include employment litigation, which we all know is you know absolutely huge right now. Uh, wrongful termination, sexual harassment, discrimination. Other cases that may fall under non-qualified silos are contract disputes, punitive damages. So believe it or not, when there's a punitive aspect, even on a personal injury case, that's a taxable occurrence as opposed to tax-free. I think a huge area that probably isn't utilized enough is environmental claims. When you've got like a long remediation period, you can structure those payments over time which could result in some savings to the entity needs to put forth those funds for that remediation process. DNO and ENO claims, probably not so much DNO. They haven't been as presented as regularly. I think ENO claims oftentimes, you can have a derivative ENO claim where coverage, for instance, on a boating accident where they thought they had an excess policy and, and uh, that, that coverage was not put in force by the agent. And so you can actually structure those payments still on a tax-free basis on a personal injury case, but on a non-physical personal injury case, you can still structure those. And then of course, attorney fees for both of the aforementioned cases, as well as physical personal injury cases. Now, is there a direct benefit to the defendant in those cases? No, but I often find that at the end of a lot of these cases, the plaintiff attorneys do want to structure their fees. And I think it lowers the temperature a little bit. Again, if if the defendants, at least on the forefront, understand that this is an option, why is it an option? Maybe someone like myself provides them with the ruling of Childs versus Commissioner, which talks about the deferred compensation aspect of attorney fees and that they can be structured because I do see a lot of cases settling, plaintiff attorneys requesting their fees be structured, the defense saying no, and now you're back at this high level boiling point again, which can a lot of times actually undo settlements that I've seen in some instances. So at the end of the day, I think whether it's a physical personal injury case, or a non-physical personal injury case where you're utilizing a non-qualified structured settlement, the plaintiff and their attorney can be benefited in maximizing the available dollars, future financial needs. And again, the benefit to the defense side is getting these cases resolved. And it's a creative avenue that maybe just dollars alone would not get done. Like I've said a couple of times, absolutely involve your own consultant. And the earlier, the better. Like I said, we are a free resource to you. Our team at Alliant has decades of experience in putting together settlements that are both large and small. 
depending on the facts of the case, we can work up meaningful and credible plans. We can attend mediations, whether it's in-person or virtual, hopefully in-person, because then you can build those relationships over time. And then adopting a best practices. It's something that we can kind of walk you through, or at least if you have a client that, that hasn't utilized them in the past, why they want to utilize them and how they can best utilize them. And of course, you know, making sure that there is a qualified assignment on, on certain personal injury cases, meaning that there's no contingent liability on those periodic payments to that entity moving forward. And I would say my final thought on this, and I, I find myself saying this so often, is that and I hear this from both plaintiff attorneys as well as on the defense side sometimes, that people lamenting these low rates in in. And I always think to myself, well, relative to what? Some high-risk investment? I mean, we're dealing with people that can't tolerate high risk. And so I often say that you know we cannot conflate personal wealth and money derived from personal injury settlements when contemplating investment options. I mean, clearly, the latter requires a more risk-adverse strategy for these injured people. So again, the prudent approach is a combination of liquidity, investments, and guaranteed tax-free structured settlements. Well, you sure have given us some food for thought, you know, just looking at it from a structured settlement standpoint, what I would have thought just intuitively would make good cases, yet it's much broader and the application is much broader than what I initially thought before this conversation. And hopefully this has also helped our clients and you know others listening think about this as an alternative way to get claims closed because you're right, a closed claim is good. And from a total cost of risk standpoint, when we're approaching the insurance market on behalf of our clients, a big piece of it is they're looking at your loss history and that loss history drives what brokers can work with in the marketplace. And so they're very related to each other. So really appreciate your time today, Colin, and hope this will help generate some questions with our clients and prospects it's a challenging time and we're looking for innovative ways for you to make your jobs easier. So thanks very much. Thank you for listening. And for more information, go to insurance.alliant.com forward slash in the public eye.